Welcome back to VLGA Connect, our summer series best of collection continues. We're looking back at some of the most watched and most talked about episodes in our 2021 season. In August, I was joined by the chair of the Essential Services Commission, Kate Simons, to talk about the commission's role in relation to local government. Hello and welcome to VLGA Connect. It is my pleasure to welcome to the program today, Commissioner with the Essential Services Commission, Kate Simons. Kate, welcome to VLGA Connect. Thanks very much, Chris. Good to be here. Lovely to have you on the program. And we want to talk a bit, obviously, about uh, the Essential Services Commission and how it intersects with the work of local government. But as a first-time guest on the program, uh, if you don't mind, I'd like to ask you a couple of questions about you and your background. How long have you been in this role? Sure. Um, well, I've been at the Essential Services Commission, Chris, for just shy of five years, actually. So I started back in 2016 as a part-time legal commissioner. Uh, and I was appointed full-time chairperson uh, in September 2019. I don't know if you know, we, we commission comprises four appointed commissioners and about 150 staff. So, um, yeah, the Central Services Commission, just for your viewers' information, um, we regulate a number of sectors, including Victoria's energy, water and transport sectors. Uh, we administer the rate capping system for the local government sector, which I'm keen to talk to you about today. Uh, and also regulate the Victorian Energy Upgrades Program as well. It's a pretty broad remit there, Kate. Do you find the similarities across those different sectors that you're involved in, or are they discrete in the issues and the problems that they uh, face? Some, some issues go across sectors uh, in terms of how we engage, what the consumer sort of experience is across a number of our sectors, but then we have our uh, particular frameworks within each sector that we regulate. So, yes, it uh, keeps us busy. And do you function like a board? Is the commission like a board of, a, of another name or, or are there some fundamental differences? Yeah, we know we meet um, formally as a commission every every week to make our formal um, statutory decision uh, decisions in that formal con commission meeting. Uh, and we also meet as a board quarterly. So, so yes, we are an independent statutory authority uh, with all of the governance structures yeah. around, around that as well. A little bit like a council in some ways as well. Yeah, absolutely. So prior to this, Kate, what, what, what is your professional background entail? I'm actually a lawyer, Chris, and I've um, really enjoyed a breadth of the different experiences over the course of my career. I've worked in um, private practice uh, for a Royal Commission uh, in the university sector, uh, overseas and interstate. I was a, a litigator in my early career and took some time when I had young children to sort of uh, further expand my horizons, as you'd say, and sort of lent into risk and yeah. corporate governance, and I, and I guess the culmination of all that experience uh, and skill led me to the commission uh, about five years ago. Wow, that's a really interesting uh, mix of experience. I bet you've got some stories to tell, but we probably should focus a bit on the EEC. Now, of course, you um, monitor and um, sit above, I guess, the rate cap uh, framework, the, the fair go rates system, and that's been in place for five, six years now. I'm trying to remember when it started. Yes, uh, 2016, yes, yeah. yep. Yeah. So what does that entail from, from your perspective in terms of your role in relation to that? Yeah, well, we do, um, we do have about four roles when it comes to uh, local government. Uh, maybe I'll touch on those roles. Yeah. You just might sort of like to have sort of an overview of, of what, we, what we do, Chris. So sure. it's really four key roles in the rate capping framework for local government in Victoria. So firstly, we advise the, the Minister for Local Government on setting the rate cap for council rates. We do that every, every year. And then the Minister sets that cap. 
Um, we then, as a commission, assess any higher cap applications uh, that get submitted to us by local councils, and that can, that has a sort of a yearly cycle as well. Um, and then we have two sort of reporting um, roles as well. One is to report each year on whether councils are complying with that cap, uh, and every two years we report on the outcomes of the rate capping system itself as well. And I know you've recently reported on outcomes, and we'll come to that in just a moment. In terms of higher uh, rate caps, as I understand it, we're in the first year now of having no higher caps in place. Have I got that right? Uh, we've um, we've had no no higher rate um, cap applications for the previous two years actually. So is that a sign in and of itself that the system is is working or uh, councils have become more attuned to the environment that's in place now, the financial environment under this framework? Yeah, that's an it's an interesting um, question because I think if it's you know, it's up to a council if they believe they need to increase their average rate by more than that rate cap that's set by the minister, they can apply to us for what we call that higher cap. Um, and they can apply for up to four years of high caps in a single single application. Um, you know, what you know, do we know the precise reasons why we haven't had any sort of high cap applications in the past couple of years? Probably not, Chris, but there are, I guess there are some issues maybe that councils have raised with us in the past that could probably speak speak to this and a couple that come to mind. Uh, you know, councils are concerned about affordability and the impacts on their communities, which is a really, really good thing to be, you know, have that awareness. I think that's reinforced by some councils not increasing their rates or, at all or increasing them by less than the rate cap that's been set. Uh, and that's probably been affected uh, even more by the impacts of the pandemic on affordability in those communities. Um, there have been some concerns about being able to meet the community engagement requirements and getting buy-in from the community in terms of support for a higher cap too, which is a really important part of an application. So I, I guess the framework is still relatively new. Um, the impacts of rate capping are still uh, there to be fully played out, I guess, in the next little while. Um, but our work, I guess, in the outcomes report that you just touched on, Chris, I think really shows that the sector um, and I guess most councils are really doing okay in terms of financial sustainability um, and that the growth in other sources of revenue really has mitigated some of the impacts of that rate capping and maybe reducing the need for, for councils to apply for that higher cap to us. Um, I do recall uh, back when the rate uh, cap framework came in, uh, the, the prevailing view was that it, it probably wouldn't really bite councils in terms of sustainability immediately, uh, the true effect would be four, five, six, seven years in. We're sort of getting to that point now. I think you touch on this a bit in your outcomes report, uh, don't you? How, how do you think the sector is now as compared to five years ago when the framework came in, in terms of sustainability? Yeah, well, it might, it might be the um, sort of good segue, Chris, to talk about that last outcomes report. Um, mm. It was the second one that we do because we do it every um, two years. And really that looked um, at the local government sector's finances in the first four years of rate capping and which included the first few months of the pandemic, which gave a bit of an interesting sort of story to tell. Um, and it really looked at what the rates and charges paid by Victorian ratepayers look like and the quality of those services provided by councils to the community over that um, period of time. Um, just a few points on what we found. We found that ratepayers have paid lower rates than they would have done in the absence of any rate capping um, framework. Um, in general, the sector's financial health really remains strong, uh, with the sector as a whole having the ability to meet those short-term and I guess those long-term liabilities as well. 
So it really showed us that the sector was in a healthy financial position before the pandemic. But as we did see um, in 2019-20, you know, those initial impacts of the pandemic um, did reduce the sector's revenue. And I think that was reflected in a, in a slight deterioration in the, um, the overall financial position of the sector. I think it does speak to um, those difficult decisions and some of the challenges for councils moving forward now out of the pandemic. And obviously we're still going through some of the effects now, but really about maintaining that long-term sustainability with revenue growth, um, particularly if other sort of streams don't sort of bounce back. So I think those, it really speaks to that theme of um, the years ahead being quite challenging for some councils. There will be some uncertainty about that um, revenue. Um, you know, they must still maintain that infrastructure and provide those services. So, so how do you balance the costs of providing those services uh, with the ability of some of their communities to actually pay? So I, I think um, it really focuses on the importance of councils um, continuing to engage with their communities about those challenges, um, the options available, and I guess the trade-offs that might be there in terms of um, where they go to from here. Um, you're obviously monitoring very closely the financial health of, of, of councils. When you make your recommendations to the minister about uh, subsequent rate caps, I know CPI is a big factor. How much of a factor is the pandemic going to be in your thinking about what you put forward for the minister's consideration? Yeah, well, I think I think we will always have to think about um, affordability in the community, but also balance that with the financial sustainability of councils as a whole. So that is where our advice sort of picks up on themes that might be sector-wide or just to, a, uh, you know, some parts of different council areas as well. So that will always be a factual theme that I think we need to turn our mind to. And as I said before, we give that advice to the minister and then the minister sets that cap um, mm. themselves. Are you expecting or planning for more applications for higher uh, caps given the current circumstances? Yeah, that's an interesting question. And I guess we will um, kick off uh, the next sort of um, round of guidance and, and what that means for next year in case councils do want to, to come to us and, and make that higher application. I guess that is a question for each council to answer for themselves, uh, and that will depend on each council's circumstances and whether they want to make that higher application to us. Um, Chris, I would say if councils have questions about that now and what that means for their future, I would really encourage them to, to reach out to our local government team who are really keen to have those conversations. Uh, and I guess any um, uh, feedback for us in terms of the process and what that means for councillors is something that we're always um, uh, open to. Um, we uh, the, the process, just for your information, Chris, is that... Um, you know, the, the minister will usually announce the cap in December each year and then we sort of ask councils to notify us by the end of January if they're considering applying for that cap. Uh, they then have to sort of to the end of March to submit their applications. But we will issue guidance in around October each year. So in a couple of months, again, we'll do so again for next year. And that will really outline our requirements, uh, expectations of councils, uh, we'll hold information sessions and really invite councils um, who might be uh, considering applying for a higher cap to meet with us directly if they want to have those conversations. So uh, very happy to share all that information directly with councils and, and help them through that process if they'd like. Question without notice has just occurred to me. that There's been a, a common uh, discussion, I guess, amongst uh, councils for some time about whether they should borrow more, borrow less. And I think in the, in the context of the rate cap environment, Probably councils have found themselves borrowing more. Do you track 
that in your analysis? Look, I think, um, you know, councillors themselves are in the best position, um, as I said, that in consultation with their community. So the engagement piece is very vital to that, to really determine what that appropriate level of debt is for their circumstance. So, you know, absolutely, debt finance is an option available to councillors as part of their financial toolkit, if you might say. Um, but, um, but, but really, I know, so I saw Catherine in a recent VLGA Connect episode with you mentioning some councils have that reluctance to take on that debt. But, you know, this is the time for councils to really think about how they'll deliver those services to their communities and I guess that financial toolkit as a whole about how they'll go about that. But that is really a, a council-centric decision yeah. for them. It's understandably, a, it can be a conservative approach, but, you know, money being as cheap as it is at the moment, perhaps you'll never get a better time. But, you know, I don't make those sort of decisions, nor do you. Yeah. Uh, but it would be interesting just to monitor how that uh, tracks over the next couple of years, I would think. Yeah, absolutely, and, and how that use of debt might be um, appropriate, particularly for longer longer term infrastructure kind of needs and, and those sorts of um, needs of a particular council. Are there any other areas uh, that touch on local government that you're mindful of at the moment or working on, Kate? Uh, a couple of things, Chris, maybe to mention, um, you know, improvements perhaps in long-term planning and, and I guess that a community engagement piece that I just mentioned before. I know that councils have been doing a lot of work in those areas with the new Local Government Act that just came out and, and now in operation. So we really expect to see those improvements and that enhanced engagement to flow through any applications that we might see for higher caps. So I'll be interested to see what that, that looks like. Um, I guess the processes of engaging uh, with communities and developing those sort of plans should make it easier for councils to demonstrate their need for a rate increase above the cap for those that might apply. So I think that will be uh, an interesting um, interaction. Um, I think there is some also some opportunities, Chris, for improvement in how some of the councils treat ratepayers who might be experiencing some vulnerability, uh, particularly as a result of the pandemic, but more generally, and you would have seen some of those themes come out in the recent Ombudsman report. So I'd be really keen to, to hear more from councils on, on that and what they're doing to provide a bit more of a consistent and fair approach to um, ratepayers who might be in financial difficulty. And I also think um, there, there's some scope to improve some of the consistency in the data and the quality that we collect in the sector. And this has been a theme over a number of years, particularly in our outcomes reporting. So I'm, I'm really hoping that we can work with um, councils and other agencies to, to make some of those improvements. And that would really feed into our outcomes reporting in the future in particular. So um, I'm looking forward to touching on each of those themes, hopefully with the sector in the next little while. But I, I really did want to take the opportunity, Chris, just to thank the sector too for engaging with the Commission. I think, um, you know, we really aim to have an open and constructive dialogue um, with councils and it's really been a journey uh, since the beginning of the, the rate capping framework in place. So, um, you know, we're always open to feedback. Um, so just welcome your viewers to, to reach out to us and the team if they need any sort of clarification or, or feedback on and how we go about our role. We're not the only state, of course, that has some sort of rate capping or rate pegging in place. Do you keep an eye on what's happening in other jurisdictions and compare how the system's working here against those? Uh, good, good question, Chris. Yes, um, we have a very strong relationship with our um, the other economic regulators across Australia, there are a few state-based regulators too who do have a very um, similar role uh, that we do, including IPART New South Wales. So, so yes, we are uh, very uh, engaged with our co-regulators in other jurisdictions and uh, and sort of keep a keep a close eye on, on on you know how they go about their role and what sort of challenges and opportunities they find uh, within their rate capping regime as well. 
And how do you think our system stacks up compared to theirs? Are you prepared to say we've got the best system or not? Um, I won't probably pass judgment on, on <laughs> whose system is, uh, is, is better, but um, to say that there's always opportunities to learn from each other and, and absolutely uh, that's why I say welcome that feedback and, and you know, the policy is set by, by government obviously and, and we are the regulator that uh, then monitors and reports and, and, and does that. But, um, yeah, absolutely. I think that ongoing dialogue across government and, and, and as between regulators and with our stakeholders is absolutely essential to what we do. Excellent answer, Kate. Thank you. So um, we do recommend the EEC, the ESC website, which is esc.vic.gov.au for the outcomes report, the various uh, reports and media releases that are issued from time to time by the ESC. Uh, and Kate, we really appreciate your time on VLGA Connect. It's been great to meet with you and to hear a bit more about the work of the Commission. We hope you enjoyed that look back on one of the highlights of the year 2021 on VLGA Connect. There's more to come from our summer series, Best of Collection. I hope you can join us again soon.